We're just going to do two songs now because we are going to do a couple at the end after Shannon has preached. And so Shannon, can you come up and I'll pray for you. And then, so ladies, you can take your seats and we're about to hear the word from Shannon, which is exciting. And then we've got a really lovely way to finish off this morning as well with some worship and communion together. So I'll let you go there. I'll put my mask on and pray for you. Do you want me to hand them out? Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful woman and for her bold, strong voice and the way that she's heard you for this morning. God, we are waiting in anticipation for what you have to say. Um, Yeah, we just love your truth. We love your word. God, help it to rest in our hearts. Help it to not just rest there, but actually change our hearts as well, Jesus. So just pray for Shannon for no nerves, for fun, and for, um, yeah, just ease of delivery this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Rosie. Morning, ladies. It's so nice to see each and every single one of you this morning. I think every meeting that we've had, it's been growing, which is lovely. Um, I just want to see if, has everyone got one of my little handouts um, that we're going to be using for this morning? So, um, yeah, I hope you've got a pen available. If not, we do have some here as well, some extra ones. And you can just stick your hand up and maybe Rosie can give you one. Okay, but let's get started. Okay, so if this is your first time with us this year, we are looking at building God's kingdom, which is such an exciting topic. And what I'm going to be speaking on this morning is, what are we building? Are we building God's kingdom? Are we building our own kingdom? Okay, so I just want you to think for a minute. If I ask you, what is the kingdom of God? Can you come up with a definition in your head? Do you know how to explain to someone, what is the kingdom of God? For me, it's sometimes easier to explain what is not the kingdom of God. (laughs) I know it's not the systems of this world. I know it's not a political thing. I know it's not just the church. I know it's beyond that. I know that it's not only in heaven one day, but it's also in part now. It is something that, you know, affects us individually and us as a group, as a church. Here's a definition that I like. It says, God's kingdom is where God is at work as king. It is the reign of God in our lives and in our contexts. And the kingdom of God is such a big theme that goes throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. But um, one way to see a clear picture of it is if you remember um, in the book of Daniel, we have King Nebuchadnezzar, and he has this dream of this, this huge statue with its golden head and shoulders, its chest and arms of silver, belly and legs of bronze, and then the feet are made of clay and iron. And he has this dream, and in the dream, this rock comes and lands at the feet and smashes the statue completely. And that gives a lovely description of the kingdom. So I just want to read that quickly from Daniel 2, verse 44 to 45. Uh, It says, and this is now the end when Daniel's speaking. He says, in those times of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom That will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock, cut out from a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. 
And that's such a lovely description of the kingdom, of this invincible kingdom that nothing can defeat it. It is eternal. It will not just coexist with other kingdoms. It will completely obliterate all of them. It's a kingdom of security, one we can trust and that we know that it will never fail. So I thought that's just a lovely description of God's kingdom. But the kingdom can still, for me, seem like this out there concept, like God's kingdom is at work in the world. <laughs> Where? <laughs> you know, we know it's working out, that God is working it out over time in history. But how can we grab a hold of this and bring it into our lives or somehow participate in this or be a part of it? Well, the good news is that the kingdom has everything to do with our hearts. Jesus comes into our hearts to be Lord and Savior, to be our King. God transforms us by changing our hearts and by ruling in our hearts and then bringing his kingdom through our lives. And so we have this theme of building this tomb. And while I don't have a specific tool today, I do have something else, which is equally important. So before you go onto a building site, you need to be dressed appropriately. You have to have maybe your hard hat. You have to have sometimes those big safety boots, maybe safety glasses. And the one thing that you also need is a visibility vest. So... Yeah, this is the car guards, but I think it works for a building vest as well. <laughs> and the reason why I've chosen this is because we wear our safety kit on a building site to protect us. It's there for a reason. It's for our safety. And the same thing with our hearts. Our hearts are where the kingdom is, you know, works through us. And um, we need to protect our hearts. So this, conveniently, this vest covers my heart. It's for my protection. And so if you see me today and remember me preaching here with this vest on, I want you to remember it's about protecting and guarding our hearts. Okay. So the first thing we need to look at is the king. The only way to know about our king, God's kingdom is to know more about the king. Um, because he has absolute power and determines what it's like. We need to know him, his will and his ways, and how he runs his kingdom. And this revelation of God, as you ladies know, is absolutely everything. Because when we see who he is, when he shows us who he is, nothing can compare with him. If you think about that statue, this golden statue with silver and bronze, it was nothing and compared to that little stone that knocked it over, that powerful stone. When we see God, we know that nothing we can ever conceive can ever compare to him and what he does. And also shows us that this is what we are ambassadors of. This is the God that we represent. And I'm going to change the word ambassadors to knights because we're going with the medieval king theme today. If you think about the knights of old, they'll pledge their allegiance to the king that they served. And so we do that in the same way. And so Jesus is many things. And I think one of our upcoming talks is going to talk more about Jesus. But today I want to remind us that he is the king. You know, in this day and age, we don't really have much of that in this world to kind of refer to. The age of kings is, is gone. You know, we have our small monarchies, but gone are the eras where you would have in ancient China a whole dynasty ruling for a thousand years, these Chinese emperors. Or gone are the wealthy Maharajas of India. Gone are the powerful monarchies of Europe. They're still there, but they're not the same. And politicians in suits don't really carry the same imagery and vibe as a king does. But fortunately, the Bible, we have this beautiful picture of a king in Psalm 45. So you can turn there with me if you want to. Okay, so I'm going to read the whole psalm. It says, My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is like the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace, since God has blessed you forever. 
Gird your sword upon your side, O mighty one, and clothe yourself with splendor and majesty. In your majesty ride forth in behalf of truth, humility, and righteousness, and let your right hand display awesome deeds. Let your sharp arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies, and let the nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions, anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia, from palaces adorned with ivory, and the music of strings makes you glad. The daughters of the kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, O daughter, and consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. The daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. Men of wealth will seek your favor. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is winter-woven with gold. In embroidered garments, she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her and are brought to you. They are led in joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king. And then it carries on a little bit. But here we have this picture of this king. And it's a prophetic picture also of Jesus and the church. Of this king who is mighty, whose enemies cannot stand against him. He's got majesty. He's got wealth. There are palaces. There's ivory. There's gold. He is just. He is true. And this is a picture of who our king is. Just a taste of who King Jesus is. Um, it says that people go before him in joyness, joyness, joy and gladness. And, and that's the kind of king we want to have, where it's a joy to go in his presence. And he is a good king. And this is what it is like with our Jesus. And then let's just pay attention to the bride. She represents the church. And let's take our cue from her, where it says, Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Bow down before your king. And we too are to forget everything else, to have our focus singly, singly on Jesus. I don't know, that's a word. <laughs> Entirely on Jesus. Forget everything else, and let's put our focus on him. So that's just a picture of, of the king and his majesty. He is so worthy of all our worship and adoration. So now that we've looked at the king, let's secondly look at the kingdom. When Jesus refers to the kingdom in the Gospels, he often refers to it by saying, like, the kingdom of heaven is like something. Like, it is like the pull of great price. It is like the yeast that works through the dough. It is like that mustard seed. Or he'll say, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to, like, compared to the king who threw the wedding banquet for his son, or the owner of the vineyard who did X, Y, and Z. And so what he does when he talks about the kingdom is he often describes what it is like and what happens in the kingdom. And it is also a description for us of how we are to act as well. Because building God's kingdom is him working in us, transforming our hearts, and then working through us. And so in Matthew 5, when we have Jesus talking to his disciples with the passage of the Beatitudes from Matthew 3 to 16, He's sitting with his disciples, and he's describing to them what the kingdom of God is like. And if you want, you can turn in your Bible so long. And he's describing what it means to live a godly life to his disciples, a life that will honor God and represent him and make an impact for God and advance his kingdom. And sometimes the way these are written in the past, I used to think they were a set of rules. You know, it's almost like do this and you'll get that. But that's not the case at all. They're not a set of rules or standards to achieve but it's rather what we have access to as part of his kingdom. They're not a bunch of morals. They're not mosaic law. 
And some people like to take them as a guide to social reform. For example, if we're all merciful, there will be world peace. Not quite that. It's more than that. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to go through the Beatitudes one by one. And that's where your piece of paper comes in. Um, we can see the numbers. And as we go through each one, you can write them down. And I'll explain the, the triangle in a little bit. To be honest, I've always struggled to understand these. And so um, I found a lot of help with Michael Eaton's commentary on this. So just so you know, that's where I'm coming from. Okay, are you ready? So the first one is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to be lacking or to be spiritually weak, to be in need of help, to be in need of salvation. In other words, we don't possess anything in ourselves um, you know, that can really help ourselves. We're in no position to negotiate with God. And it's in this place that we realize our need for salvation and can accept him in his salvation, his help. And after that, accept his strength, accept the Holy Spirit and rely on the Holy Spirit to live out our daily lives. It's realizing that we are fully dependent on him and that without him, we can do nothing. You know, our King Jesus modeled this for us. He would take time to go aside and pray and spend time with his father and rely on him. And in John 5, it tells us about how the son can do nothing apart from the father. So, so that's how Jesus modeled that for us. If we struggle with this area, we can become self-reliant. Even once we say we can get saved and then we can fall into self-reliance, doing things in our own strength. And when we do that, we can't build God's kingdom because we can never build it in our own strength and only in his strength. So instead of that, what should our heart response be? For me, it's just to accept him, to accept our own poverty of spirit and to accept that he actually wants to come and he wants to save us and he wants to give us his strength and he wants to give us the Holy Spirit and to rely on that. And that can be very hard to do because it goes against everything that we as humans, uh, the way that we think. Okay, so for number two, next to number two, you can write, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And while it's true that when we are mourning and grieving for something, Jesus does come and he comforts us. But I think it goes beyond this in a broader sense. As Christians, I think that we all mourn this fallen world, that there is still sickness and suffering. We mourn the fact that the kingdom is not yet here in full, even though we look forward to that. I don't know if you guys have ever had a tough day and you've thought at the end of the day, it is difficult to be human. <laughs> I've thought that so many times. With all our frailties, our emotions, our mistakes that we make, the temptations that we come across, it is difficult to exist in this world where there's still so much injustice and conflict and suffering. But remember Nebuchadnezzar's statue and the rock that overcame it all. God overcomes everything in this world. He is the overcomer. And God himself comes and he encourages us and he uplifts us and he comforts us and he gives us his faith, hope, and love. He fills us with his joy, which then gives us strength. You know, Jesus, obviously is God, he's strong, but he chose to come to earth as a man and to fully identify with our hardships so that he could bring us salvation and then intercede for us fully. And if we look at Hebrews 2, it's just a passage that describes this so beautifully. I'll read it for you. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Since the children of flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds power over death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. Sorry. <laughs> he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. 
because he himself suffered when he was tempted and is able to help those who are being tempted. And for me, that just is a picture of how, of how God willingly chose to come down to earth and partake in humanity, that he would be able to do all of this for us. And so we can struggle in this area when we become overwhelmed by circumstances and overwhelmed by the world, or even overwhelmed by ourselves and the sin and the things that we are doing maybe. Um, and if we try to, I don't know, build kingdom, God's kingdom in this place, we instead build a fortress of self-preservation and a, self, a fortress out of fear and other such things instead of advancing, advancing God's victorious kingdom forwards. And so instead, our heart's response should be just to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And if we do that, we can weather the storms. We take the eyes off ourselves and we look at what he has done for us in this area. Okay. All right, moving on to the next one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does it mean to be meek? Here it means to be in full surrender to God, to put everything in his hands. When he's in control, we don't feel like we need to defend our reputations. There's no room for pride or aggression or, or defensiveness. Disobedience and self-centeredness are done away with. And this is closely linked to how big our picture of God is. You know, the bigger our picture of God is, and the more we know him, the more we can trust him and just say, here, God, take it all, as that song said this morning. It goes hand in hand with humility, because humility means seeing things as they really are. Seeing God who he really is, and then seeing in light of that who we really are. And yeah, and then just following him and his will for his lives. You know, he is the potter and we are the clay. And Jesus modeled this so beautifully. When I was reading Matthew now at the beginning of the year, I was just so struck by his humility in every aspect of his life, from being born in a humble stable to humbly submitting himself to baptism when he didn't need to repent of any sin, humbly going through his temptation in the desert, humbly going into Jerusalem on a donkey instead of in some big parade, and of course, humbly going to the cross and seeing through the crucifixion. And it's important to know that Jesus didn't abdicate any responsibility here. So it's not like he was like, okay, I'm putting everything in your hands, Father God, that means, you know, I don't have to do anything. No, it's putting it all in God's hands and then humbly following him and walking in submission to God. Another scripture that beautifully portrays this is Philippians 2. So I'm going to go there quickly. It says, our attitude should be the same of that as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. And so how we can struggle in this area is if we walk in our own plans. If like our object lesson showed us, we do try to do things according to our own instructions and not the instructions that God gives us. Um, if we, battle with, we will battle with pride and self-centeredness if we try to do this. And if we're trying to be in control of everything, of ourselves and of others, it's not only hurtful to us, but also to others as well. And so what does our heart response need to be in this area? Instead, it needs to be just to trust God, simply that, and surrender everything to him. So now if you look at your little mountain, it's actually a mountain, not a triangle, you'll see that the first three that I've discussed have gone up one side of the mountain, okay? 
So this comes from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and just a way of explaining almost like the process of the Beatitudes. Um, it's a nice picture of how God works with us. So one side we're going up the mountain, and all of these three are, are linked in that we, we just, in this place where we have nothing, where we've submitted ourselves to God, and we're humbly following him. And that's the first side of the mountain, and they're similar in that way. But now we come to the top, and that's number four. Okay. Are you ladies doing all right? Good. Number four is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And here we see a bit of a shift. So we've gone from this place of having nothing, we've put it all in God's hands and knowing nothing, um, and we start to look and hunger for the things of God. Hunger and thirst means we need to develop an appetite for the things of God. When we are hungry and thirsty, we are sure to act on that (laughs) sooner or later. It's not something we neglect. And so it's actively seeking his righteousness. At the moment, we're talking about going deeper with God in this church. And this all falls into this category. When you are hungry and thirsty, or if you're like me, you get hangry. I get hangry so quickly. You focus on nothing else. (laughs) Your priority is to get food into your mouth as soon as possible. And so God, you know, the seeking after God and his righteousness becomes our priority. It becomes our focus. Um, It is a thing that is on your mind all the time. We desire to be right with God. We develop a desire to know Jesus. We develop a desire to be done with sin and self. We develop a desire to see God change the world and to be a part of that where we can. We develop a desire to work out his calling on our lives. And King Jesus, well, we know he was so truly focused when he was on earth with his mission here, single-minded in what he came to do. From the age of 13 or whatever it was, in the temple, talking to the scholars, all the way through his temptation and persecution, And he completed his mission perfectly. Nothing was left undone. What a wonderful example. And so we can fall in this area when we become distracted and have an appetite for other things that are not of God. Are we distracted today by anything? A heart response instead needs to be to seek him with everything. Seek him with all our hearts. The next one leads into this. And we start to see more of the kingdom starting to work out through our lives. So number five is blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And this points to God transforming us. What we receive from him, he works out in our hearts, and we will start to bear the same fruit. So mercy is holding back on punishment, being lenient. And it's linked to like care and compassion. And so when we're in a situation where we need to be merciful, we can recall our own weaknesses from, you know, points one, two, and three, and then be merciful to others. The world needs what we have to offer. So King Jesus, when he was here, I'm sure he was able to see the sin in everyone's hearts that he ministered to. And yet, he still ministered to them and was able to extend mercy. And so for us, we can struggle in this area if we stop receiving from God. If we stop letting him work in our hearts. If we stop being teachable. And then the flow of blessing through our lives will go narrow down to a trickle and maybe even then stop completely. And so instead, our heart response needs to be to keep teachable, and to be open to his Holy Spirit, and to be available. Okay, number six, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity of heart links to holiness and being set apart for God. And it's such a huge contrast between the way God works and the way the world works. Okay, so with God's kingdom, we have internal heart transformation, which only God can do. Whereas the world looks at external morals that they try show from the outside, um, and we don't know what's going on in their hearts. It's a contrast between kingdom living 
and devotion to God versus worldly living and self-righteousness. And so with purity of heart, you know, we have this authentic transformation in our hearts. We can be honest and integrous. And when we have nothing to hide, we can be vulnerable and transparent. And let's, you know, let this to be shown to everyone. And this glorifies God. So essentially here, we are letting our light shine and the world needs to see this. Um, we can have a pitfall in this area. I'm just going to shorten because I see we're just a bit short of time. Um, if we have sin in our lives and we don't deal with it, we'll be hiding things away in our hearts where we take our eyes off pleasing Jesus and put them on pleasing the world and the standards of the world instead. When we forget to let his love be the thing that motivates us. And so our heart response is to do the opposite and deal with any sin that comes into our lives and to live boldly for him. Okay, then this final one here is blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called the sons of God. And this is the final point on the mountain because in a sense it's almost accumulation of everything that's been going on before. This is the part where we are the salt and the light. And we're referring to peace here. It's not pagan peace in terms of, you know, world peace and, and we're living in utopia and everything's comfortable and everyone has what they need. I mean, that's all good. But what peace we're referring to here is the true peace, the true sense of well-being and wholeness, which is only possible with reconciliation with God. And then the secondary things that come out of that, like the true unity that comes with God and the fruits of the Spirit. And so being a peacemaker means being an agent of God's shalom in the world. That, they know that shalom, that Hebrew word for wholeness. I don't know, Julia can help me here. Um, and having an impact and influence for the kingdom. And when we do this, people will see this. So at its core, it's living out the gospel, taking the gospel to those around us, living out the great commission and the great commandment. And it requires our everything. And that is why it is last on the list here. Truly being agents of change in the world is advancing God's kingdom. And so we can struggle in this area when we focus on ourselves, stay in our comfort zones, don't act on what God has asked us to do and not get involved. And our heart response instead should be to be obedient to whatever Jesus would have us do. And so there's one more left, but I just want to say these beatitudes are a picture of God working inward, outward. He starts with our hearts, and you can start to see that as he works with us, as he goes through this process, it starts to have more outward fruit. And so this is how we build the kingdom, by God, allowing God to start in our hearts and work out. And my intention this morning wasn't to prescribe a seven-step process. This is not that at all. Um, they just highlight the way that God works with us and the way that he transforms us in this beautiful way. The last beatitude is a little bit different to others because it's not about us, but how others will see us with persecution. So I'm just going to read that very quickly. So it says, Blessed are those who persecuted because of the kingdom of right or because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is, in a sense, comforting. Maybe it's not comforting to know that there'll be persecution. But it's comforting in the sense that all these things can come against us, but God's promises um, will still stand. His joy will still be in our hearts, and nothing can come against that and take that away from us. So that last one is kind of comforting for us as well. Um, yeah, so as we've gone through this, you know, even though I've pointed out for each one, you know, an area where our heart can struggle and almost a pitfall in a sense. When I was reading this, I was overwhelmed by the fact that in each of these, God has made such huge provision 
to deal with these areas that we struggle in. And almost all of his goodness overwhelms those little heart attitudes that we can have completely. And I was just so encouraged because at times we can feel so discouraged. Like, oh, I'm really struggling with this issue, God. Like, you know, I'm really struggling with that temptation, all this and whatever it may be. And it can almost overwhelm us, or all the things outside that are going on. But God's word just reminds us of how he is so much more um, sufficient to help us deal with these things. And Philippians 1 verse 6, it tells us how he will finish the good work that he started in us for his glory and for his kingdom. And, you know, today as I was just thinking about it, I was just filled with such a sense of joy. And it's true that the joy of the Lord is our strength. He has, I don't know, he has just made it so, I'm not say easy, but he has just made so much provision for us to walk closely with him in his lives as we go forward. In Matthew 6, Jesus gives us an instruction, which I think encompasses it all. It says, seek first the kingdom and the king, and everything else will be added unto you. And I was thinking of this thing of a king. You know, as I said earlier, there are these knights, and they come and they kneel before him, and they pledge their allegiance to the king, and they serve him, and do all sorts of, you know, brave missions for him. Jesus, our king, wants our full allegiance and loyalty. We can't have divided hearts. We can't have divided allegiance. We can't have allegiance to God and something else. It's God first and then the other things. And so a challenge for us this morning is, what, how is our allegiance towards our king? Does he have our whole hearts? Because he wants our whole hearts. He is jealous for our whole hearts. And that's just something to consider. Yeah. So now what we're going to do is we're going to spend more time just focusing on Jesus Let's hear what he has to say to us, what our king has to say to us. We're going to have communion. We're going to break bread. And it's a great opportunity just to, you know, as I've gone through these points, is there anything that you need to bring before the Lord? Let's examine our hearts as well. And let's hear what he has to say to us. As we remember him and everything that he as our king has done for us and for our salvation. Thanks. Cool. So just logistically how it all worked, could we get the worship team up? And then the ladies in the kitchen have got um, plates ready, but could one person from your table group please go and grab a plate and then you can share your communion with your, with your table. And we do know that it's nearing 10.30, so um, if you do really need to go, then head off. But please, yeah, stay and have communion. Finish this last bit with Jesus. Um, and it won't, yeah, we won't take too long.
just going to pray to finish. Jesus, you were the ultimate kingdom bringer. You were the one who lived in total obedience. And then you took the weight of the sin of the world's sin on your shoulders undeservedly. So Jesus, help us look to you and step out in obedience to bring kingdom on earth. Where, where kingdom is, where that quote that Shannon said earlier, where God is at work as king. And God, let that be every aspect of our lives and our hearts, God. Would you be at work as king, not as sidebar or not as um, the thing we look to tomorrow or the thing we forget to, we forget to put first or the, thing, the person we forget to consult, God. But would you be working as king, the person who we bow down to, the person who we submit to, the person who we revere, God. Would you be working as that person in our hearts and in our lives? In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, that was a big meal that we got from Shannon. I think I, uh, yeah, it was amazing. So it might take some digesting. So go home like we did. We had homework with Julia. Now we've got homework with Shannon as well. Take those triangles home and digest them and reflect on them. And it's not really something we could cover in 20 minutes or 25 minutes, but it is like it can take us through to the next two weeks till we have our next session. Um, the elders' wives are here. If yeah, if you got, if you do need prayer, we're around. We would love to pray with you. Please. All right, as we go back and focus on on Jesus and who He is and how He brought kingdom to earth, He said um, that the Lord Jesus, on the night where He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, as we now take our bread um, and we remember what it signifies and what it represents, we are so grateful and humbled and um, overwhelmed that you broke, your body was broken for us. Your body was broken while we were still sinners for us. Thank you, Jesus, for that unimaginable pain that you went through so that we could be reconciled with God. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And God, that new covenant, that new covenant is so life-giving. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood was poured out so that we could walk in the new covenant. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you that we can talk to you, Jesus. We don't have to go through someone else. We don't have to have our 650 million laws to to fellowship with you, God. You tore the curtain, sorry, the, t the curtain was torn so that we can fellowship with you. Thank you, Lord, for considering us and for loving us and having this plan from the beginning to the end till now. In Jesus' name, we say, amen. Thank you, ladies, for bearing with me. I have baby brain. <laughs> All right.